Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the, your opportunity to come together and to study your word and for for all those that will hear this message, that they will be blessed and, and see how your prophecies all culminate and, and just the blessing of seeing that. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to start with the, a lot of the history and, and context of the book of Ezra. Ezra was originally considered... Ezra and Nehemiah was considered for a long time one book, and they broke it out over year over the years. But the Jews, especially originally, just thought of it was one book of history, very much like First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, huh? Nehemiah. Uh, the the books of uh, Kings were originally, matter of fact, all those books were originally considered the. Uh, first Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles were all considered the books of kings, and they were First Kings, Second Kings, Third Kings, Fourth Kings. So, um, but the book was written around 538 BC after after Cyrus uh, consolidated his power. Uh, it's BC. I I refuse to use the the BCE designation. <laughs> And Ezra is generally conceded as the author, or at the very least, the compiler of all the documents that went into this book. Ezra was a Jewish uh, priest and scribe, and he came back to Jerusalem from Babylon in the second wave of settlers that we're going to be talking about in, in Ezra. And it's a, considered a book of history. It's not a complete history but it is one of the books of history in the Bible and it is a book that talks about the return of the Jews after their 70 years in captivity in Babylon or the one, or at least for the Jew, kingdom of Judah that only so had to be in 70 years of captivity and when they went into captivity Nebuchadnezzar and his and the and the Babylonian Empire had destroyed the temple sacked the temple and took all the treasures, and if you remember the story, at, at the end of Daniel, they were having the party, and Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall, and in the middle of his party, he was conquered by Darius the, of, of the Medes. And the Medes and Persians became one nation, and Darius and, and Cyrus are going to rule as contemporaries to each other and co-regents, basically. So there's your history lesson for all of this. Now, the, the funny part about this is that in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12, Jeremiah said, before any of this happened, I mean, this is 70 years before any of this stuff is going to happen. He says in verse 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 12, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the kingdom of the king of Babylon and, will, and that nation says the Lord for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans and will make it become a perpetual desolation and will bring upon all the lands all my words which I have pronounced against this, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. All right, so God already told them that they were going to be in Babylon for 70 years, and it was when, at the end of 70 years that the captivity, that Babylon would no longer be a nation. And then we look at Isaiah 44, 
Verse 28, and Isaiah also is a prophet. Now, Isaiah is a prophet long. He's before, he's before Jeremiah. He's, he's with many of the ancient kings. And in Isaiah 44, 28, he says, that, say, that, that saith Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasures, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall build and you shall be built and to the temple your foundations will be laid. Okay, this is before Cyrus is born. Cyrus does not even exist. The, the, the kingdom that Cyrus is going to have does not exist as, as anything but a small kingdom out there. It's not, it's not a power. It is going to have no authority as, as uh, they can see. And as we go on into verse 45, Thus saith the Lord unto his, his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will, will loose the loins of the kings to open before him the two leaved gates and the gates that will shall not be shut i will go before him and make the crooked places straight i will break into pieces the gates of brass and cut asunder the bars of iron and i will give him the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that i am the lord which call you by your name i am the god of israel so this is he's given him a whole list and there's and if you study the history you'll see that these instances are Battles that Cyrus fought. And so when Cyrus was, I'm sure Cyrus was, was told this stuff. I mean, he, he's going to be a contemporary of Daniel. And Darius has promoted Daniel to a high place in, in authority. So I am sure that Cyrus met him. And it is probably Daniel who shares this stuff with Cyrus. See, Cyrus, you're, na you're named in our holy scriptures. And it will blow Cyrus's mind to see this. So all of these prophecies that are out there that says, number one, they're only going to be in slavery for 70 years. And we're told previous to that that the reason they're in slavery for 70 years is because they had missed the Sabbath for the land that we talked about in, in Leviticus class, that they, were, they had missed the Sabbath for the land, so they had to go in the captivity long enough for the land to have its complete Sabbath, which meant... Every seven years they were to have a Sabbath. They were in captivity for 70 years. They missed 70, kept, uh, 70, 70 so it was 490 years that they had missed, the, that they lived in the land without doing the Sabbath. So we've got all of this going on. All of these prophecies are going to be starting to be fulfilled in Ezra. So it's a very powerful book when we look at it. Its main topic is the return from captivity and the rebuilding of the temple and the establishment of the social and religious system. Okay, so the, all of the Israelites, all the rich Israelites, all the people of, of training and business had been shipped out of Babylon when Babylon captured Judah. The only ones left were the very poor, and they are going to become the Samaritans. And they're considered by the Jews as half-breeds. They were Jews that intermarried with the people that were in that area. And they followed this mixed-up religion of Judaism and local religions. And, and they're the ones that actually consider themselves as the ones that have always stayed in there. But the Jews come back and consider them half-breeds and, and uh, not real Jews. All right, so there's a big problem when these guys come back. They're going to take all this land back that they consider theirs and not belonging to the people that are living in it. So there's going to be some problems, and we're going to see some of those problems in Ezra, and we'll probably go into Nehemiah because those, those two books 
you know, are contemporary with each other. So, and a big emphasis of the book is the Word of God. He really talks a lot about the Word and what it says in the Word and following God's Word. So this is a big topic in here. The outline of the book basically follows two separate outlines. The first one is the return of the first wave of colonists under Zerubbabel and the decree of Cyrus, and it lists all the names of all the people that came back in that first wave, which we'll highlight some of them, but we won't spend a long time on that. Then it starts getting into the actual rebuilding of, of Israel, and it'll start with the rebuilding of the altar and then the lit foundation of the temple laid. And then it ends with the second wave of colonists coming in under Ezra. So we want to just see that you know, this is the format of the book. And just as we lead into this, we've got Darius conquering Babylon. Now, Darius is the, the king of the Medes. Later on, the Medes and the Persians will come together as one, one name of, of an empire. And, but Darius takes and conquers Babylon. And Babylon was the great kingdom of that day. They considered that they basically... Uh, conquered what they called the civilized world at that time. They didn't go into Europe or uh, off beyond India, but they conquered everything that was considered the civilized world. Uh, and they were in charge, and Darius the, took over and conquered them. That was because of God's judgment. It was the way that uh, the Babylonians were treating the Jews and how they mistreated them, and they were conquered. And Darius promoted, as we know, he promoted... Daniel and to you know Dan Daniel and then we get the whole story of Daniel in the lion's den where da Darius is tricked into you know condemning Daniel and then we look in the in Daniel chapter 6 and we're going to do some history because it's important to understand all this history to figure out exactly what's going on in Daniel 6 chapter uh, verse 25, right after, he's, after Daniel has survived into the, Daniel, the lion's pit and he's thrown in all the accusers of Daniel into the, into the lion's pit and they're destroyed with their families. Then it says in verse 25, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, which would be his whole kingdom, is, so he's, he's considering it the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And Daniel prospered un until the, in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So now we're being introduced that Daniel knows of Cyrus. And this decree, this decree is fascinating that in that area, God was, the, the king said to worship this God. And I believe that Darius became a convert to the one God. And possibly even Cyrus as well as Darius because of Daniel's influence. Daniel has a great influence over, the, over these people. And he's going to teach them. He's going to, I believe that he shows them these scriptures. He shows them Jeremiah. He shows them Isaiah. Especially with Cyrus. You know, once he sees Cyrus's name, 
He's going to remember. Cyrus was mentioned by Isaiah. I think maybe we want to talk to him and see, is he going to be the Cyrus that was talked about that's going to tell us to go back and build this temple? And remember, we read in Isaiah that, he's, that, he was, that this Cyrus said to go build Jerusalem back up and lay, the temp and lay the foundation of the temple. So Daniel has this great influence over, over these people as he's, as he's sharing with them. Daniel 10, verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar, and the thing was true, but the, the time appointed was long, and, and he understood the thing and had understanding in the vision. So we talk again. He's still there. And we look at Ezra, and the very first thing it's going to say, in the first year of Cyrus, he's going to make this decree to send people back. Now, Daniel at this time is a pretty old man because he's been 70 years in captivity. He was a teenager when he was sent into captivity. So poor Daniel is somewhere in his 80s. He's very venerated in the government. He's very much part of the government. Might even be retiring at this point. So he does not go back to Jerusalem. He never, he, as far as we know, he never goes back to Jerusalem and will die in Babylon. But he has influence. He has influence over kings and with kings. And I'm not, for, not shown, but you know, did he show Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecies to Darius and Cyrus? I have this feeling that he probably did. Can it be proven? Absolutely not. Could it just be a miraculous thing that Cyrus all of a sudden decided to send the Jews back? It could be. But you know, it could be very interesting if he had been shown this stuff. Shown these, hey, hey, Cyrus, look at this. Your name, your name. And it was in here 100 years ago. And here's your name. You've got the opportunity to send, us, send, send the people back to build the temple. And he does. You know, were they followers of God? Were Darius and Cyrus followers of the one true God? We don't know. It seems that they might have been. If they were, that would be a reason for them to have been shown all this stuff and, and, and brought into it. All of that is speculation. But Darius seems to have embraced the religion of, of Daniel very much because of the, of the decree. And it is possible that Cyrus was brought into, the, into this whole thing. Daniel had already affected Nebuchadnezzar and, into this and didn't go down to his, grands, his son and his grandson. But... Nebuchadnezzar apparently became a follower of the one true God, especially when there's a chapter in Daniel that is written by Nebuchadnezzar honoring God, the God of the heaven. So there's all of this stuff that's going on, and, and Ezra becomes a great picture of all that's going to happen and a completion of prophecy. And the great thing about the Word of God, his prophecies in the Scripture are very specific and accurate and when God gives a prophecy we've said this before for him it's not even a prophecy it's just saying I've seen it happen already and here I'm going to tell you about it but we see it as prophecy because we haven't seen it yet and God's book is full of prophetic utterances and not just ones that you have to twist and turn and and make them come in you know come in and he says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem he was born in Bethlehem born of a virgin now, there may be many that question, was Mary a virgin, you know, and all that stuff, but the history shows that the claim was made that she was a virgin, and I believe it because God said it was going to be. So all of these things that are out there, we, we see and we go, okay, God. And, we, and in Revelation, we're going to be showing all the history that's still to come. 
And we're seeing things being fulfilled. As we come closer and closer to the end times, we're seeing things being fulfilled from the scripture. I'm reading the book of Isaiah right now, and Isaiah is full of predictions of the future. So we want to just look at this, and Ezra is, is a completion of a lot of this. So we're going to start and look at chapter 1 of Ezra. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdoms and put it into writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you, all his people? His God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem, and whoso remaineth in the, any place where he sojourns, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold and with goods and with beasts besides the free will offerings for the house of the God that is in Jerusalem. So this is quite a proclamation we're going to be kind of looking at. First, it identifies that this is Cyrus, <laughs> the, the one who could make this proclamation. And that's what all of this is in verse 1 is. It's the fancy title. It's, it's in his first year of full reigning of, of it, whatever, whatever that period is. And it says that this was an answer of Jeremiah's prophecy, which we already talked about. For 70 years, they'll be in captive, captivity. And it says that he made the proclamation and put it in writing, which is pretty, pretty important because we're already told earlier that, because that was Darius's predicament, that anything put into, the, into writing, into law, and in, into degree could not be broken. So this is being put into writing. It's not just that. It says, the Lord God of heaven has given me the kingdoms of the earth. He has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. This is quite a strong statement. He is acknowledging who God is. And this is why I believe that Cyrus was introduced to, to the one true God. Because he is speaking of the God of heaven. And I truly believe it was Daniel who introduced him. It is possible it could have been somebody else, but Daniel had the, you know, the ear of these guys. You know, he was the, the wise man. He was the one that people you know, understood, and you know, he would have been the obvious choice to have talked to them. And it says that he's been charged to build the God of the universe, the house of Jerusalem. And then he says, and by the way, in case you don't know where Jerusalem is, it's in Judea. <laughs> it's in Judah. You know, you know, you, we're go, they're going to Judah for this. Uh, it's going to be built where it's supposed to be. It's not some other Jerusalem or any other Jerusalem out there. He says, he's being very specific. He says, then he goes, who is there among his, all of his people? His God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, to build the house of the Lord God in Israel. And then it has his little parent, he is the God. And you note the, the, the little article, the. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And this is kind of an interesting statement. First off, he's challenging the Jews. Any of you that want to go back home, it's time to go home. You know, and if you go home, you're going to go build this, you're going to build this temple. So there's a purpose there to go and build. Now, one of the things that had happened to the Jews under the Babylonian Empire was they were scattered all through the Babylonian Empire to begin with. And Babylonian was one of those conquering nations that would take the population from where they lived 
and put them all over their kingdom. It kept people from being able to rebel because you're, you're, you, you weren't in your homeland, so you didn't have the rebellion by staying in your homeland. And being scattered all through there, you didn't have enough of you to, to join together and make a battle, and you had the distrust you had of, the, of your foreign neighbors to not try to join together. So this is what Babylon did and many other empires of that day. They would take you and move you from one place to a completely new place. Matter of fact, the America did that to the Indians in the in in the in the eighteen hundreds. We moved West Coast Indians, put them on the East Coast, put East Coast Indians on the West Coast, and a lot of that was to destroy them. I mean, because the climates were totally different, the environments, what they ate, how they how they set up tents, uh, everything was different, and it pretty much wiped out the Indian populations when they did that. Not completely, but it it really decimated them. It exposed them to different diseases different animals, different lifestyles, and that's part of what, and that whole mentality came from the old empires that did this kind of train, uh, moving people around. Yeah, Britain did a lot of that. Huh? England did a lot of that, freed it out of people. It, well, it's, I mean, it's a good way to stop uprisings. Right. Uh, you get them out of where their, where their home is, because in World War II, the Germans did not take the French out of their homeland, and the French were like, we're not giving up our homeland, and they were a constant thorn in the side of the Germans, you know, right. rising up and, and little terrorist activity. We would call them terrorists. They were called, you know, underground, you know, underground activities then, but, you know, we, you know in, in our vocabulary, or to the Germans, they were terrorists. Uh, and they would come up, and they would be defending their home. They, you know, we want our home back, so we're going to make it difficult on the invaders. So this style was great to stop, <laughs> stop problems. You just move people to different places, and they couldn't, couldn't rise up and defend themselves. And, but in the process, the Jews had become very industrious. They had, they had created businesses, and had gotten wealthy, and had established roots down in this land for 70 years. And so the biggest problem they had when, they, when Cyrus said, time to go back, you guys are looking at, well, I've got my business here, and I've got a profitable business here. I'm not going to leave this business and, and go where nobody's at and build, you know, work hard building. And because it was specific that they were to go and reestablish and build the temple. And so there's a great number of Jews who did not go return back to Jerusalem at this point. And this was a problem in one sense because there's just a certain amount of people that are going to go. And there'll be a number of them, but not as large a number as you would, you know, that they were hoping for. And this will be a problem for the Jews even to today where, they're, where they now have a homeland and, and Jews are only now starting to really want to go back home. There, there was a number of them that went back, you know, went to Israel to form that. But God is putting it in their hearts to return back to Israel. And it's amazing as you watch these people starting to return starting to return the, the 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 desire the desire to return back and you know the jews have had various homelands over the over the years where they've been accepted and, and had life pretty easy babylon even though they were captives there they had it fairly easy they were able to build and, and establish it, you know the majority of them went back to israel once they were dispersed from israel in 70 a.d many of them ended up in the spanish area until the until the Spaniards got, you know, got uh, decided to get rid of them at the same time that America was found, and many of the Jews came to America to to escape the persecutions, 
and still to this day, many of them live here in America, and eventually they will end up by back home in Israel because that's where God will want them as the world moves against them. And we've seen Satan trying to destroy Israel over and over and over again. Before Jesus came, it was trying to destroy them so that the Messiah wouldn't come. After it is just to destroy them so that they so that the revelation cannot be fulfilled that he's going to defend his 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 uh, people. So Satan has a great desire to totally destroy Israel, and God says, "No, you're not going to destroy my people." And he's done great miracles to protect his people over many years. Miracles of the, to keep them from being destroyed, and here they are. Cyrus is saying, "You can go back home," and there are many of them saying, "Well, we don't remember home." All we remember is this place, and after 70 years, you can figure that most of the people, most of the people who had been kicked out of there were, were dead. You know, 80, 90 years old, they definitely didn't want to go back home. Their children didn't know any, they didn't know of any home other than where they lived. And so this is going to be a problem. This is going to be a problem. The very young that had been exiled might remember a little bit about it, but even they are going to be 75, 73, 74, you know, and not really remember Israel as home. And, uh, and so this is what's going on. He says, who among this people, you know, go back, your God be with you and, and go back to Jerusalem and build the house of the Lord. And I love this because it just, it, everything about this decree makes it sound like Cyrus is a follower of God. You know, there's just nothing in this decree, I mean, there's nothing in it that says he absolutely was, you know, follow my God or anything, but he at least highly reverenced the Jewish God. Uh, uh, the point that you found Nebuchadnezzar becoming a believer, that was, that's amazing too. Mm -hmm. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, was made a made a beat like a, like the beast of the field for for a period of time, and then he rightly re responded to God and said, "Okay, you are the only God." And I really truly believe that there's no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar was a follower of the God. It didn't follow down to his kids, obviously, but and uh, but it did, you know. But everything about you know Darius's decree was you're going to follow Daniel's God because he's great. Now you don't make that kind of a decree decree unless you are wanting to follow that God too because you'd be in violation of your own dec decree. Sure. Uh, so there's very much an indication that there is this decree being made that needs to be followed. And Cyrus makes it, you know, the language Cyrus uses makes it sound like he was a follower of the one true God. And uh, he does say the God of Israel and all this stuff, you know, all of that material. But So it's not an absolute, you know, if somebody wanted to argue with me that no, there's nothing there that says... Cyrus was, I'm not going to sit there and argue with them because I can't prove from these statements that he had become a follower, but it sure looks like he was. And uh, so I would say that this was, again, but he, again, he's saying, I have been commissioned. I have, I have been given a task <laughs> to build this kingdom, th this uh, temple, Cyrus. You know, he says, I've been given a task. I've been charged with doing this. You know, and the question is, who charged him? You know, who, how did he get this charge? He recognized it was by God. How did he get this charge? I really believe that somebody somehow showed him the book of Isaiah and, and the predictions. And he was probably blown away that his name was in a Hebrew book written years before his kingdom even, even was uh, much more than a tribal land. 
and he's going, oh, here's my name, here's the people that need to go back home, and I have the power to send them home. And it says specifically that he was to send them home and to build a temple. And that's exactly what he said he was charged with. So it's, I think it's a little bit beyond just coincidence that he is saying this. Uh, and I truly believe it was Daniel who presented it to him. Now, I, I, you know, I'm, I would not be steadfast or adamant about that. But Daniel was in that unique position to do that. He's second in charge of, the, of, the, of what used to be the Babylonian Empire, and he's been promoted under the, the Medes to be second in charge. And then there's Darius and Cyrus that are co-regents, and I, I would almost be sure that Daniel appeared before the two of them on more than one occasion. And if Darius was following the one true God, he's going to allow Daniel to talk to Cyrus. So I think it's more than, it is a circumstantial case, but I think it's a very strong circumstantial case that it's Daniel who told Darius and who told Cyrus about this prophecy. And Cyrus is saying, wow, I've got to <laughs> do this. And especially if he be really became a follower of the one true God, then he would go, wow, my name's in the book. We're doing this. Um, can we be dogmatic about it? Absolutely not. It's just, it would just be one of those things that I think is a very true statement. And then it says, if you're going to stay, and whosoever remains, verse 4, in this place, you know, doesn't, you know, where he sojourneth, let the men of their place give them silver and gold and goods for the, and beasts besides freewill offerings for the house of the God that is in Jerusalem. So he's saying, okay, I know not all of you are going to necessarily want to go, but if you don't go, give to those who are going. This is a pretty big deal. You know, okay, you guys, you're happy where you're at. You're making money. That's fine. Stay, but give. It's your temple. It's your God who's being worshipped. You give. And this is not, a, not necessarily a free will offering. He's, this is a command by the, by the king to give. And we're going to see that uh, when the king says something, you follow what the king says. And uh, in verse 5, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priest and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and gold, with goods and with beasts and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. So this is kind of an interesting thing. It says, the chief fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and they're the ones that are mentioned because the, tri the kingdom of Judah was the last one that was captured. The tribe of Israel has been in captivity a lot longer than 70 years okay, because they were captured by Assyria who was then captured by Babylon. All right, so they've been in, they've been in captivity for a lot longer and they were pretty much the same, kicked out. Some of them ran to Judah, but for the most part, they've been in captivity a lot longer than, than uh, the, the uh, kingdom of Judah. And, but it's the kingdom of Judah that first responds. And that also makes sense because off and on, Judah, the kingdom of Judah had good kings. They had a lot of bad kings, but they had good kings along the way that would bring back religious worship. They had Hezekiah, they had Josiah, they had a number of these guys that said, we're going to bring back the worship of God. And they were able to bring back, clean the temple out and get rid of the idols 
in the kingdom of Israel, they started golden calf worship, and they had golden calf worship all the way from the time they started to the time they were conquered and worse. Okay? They had at least golden calf all, and all of those ones, and it's called the, the sin of Jeroboam, and they had other idols as well. They had Baal and Astoroth and all these other different gods of the kingdoms. And they worshipped all different gods. And God took the northern kingdom first because they would not, would not repent and come back to him. But Judah got to last a lot longer because of good kings. Uzziah you know, uh, and all these different kings that made good decisions for God and came back to God. And they were able to say, okay, and now the chief people of Judah are saying, okay, yeah, we've missed worshiping God. Okay? Because they really couldn't worship him in, in Babylon because there was no temple. They weren't even, probably not even allowed to make the sacrifices, even if they, if they wanted to because there was no temple, but they were probably not allowed to worship their God in the way that they wanted to worship their God because of being scattered and no temple and the altar being taken away but they get ready to return and it says then they strengthen their hands with vessels of silver gold with goods and with beasts and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered they're going to go back with a fortune in our in our in our in our vocabulary they're going back with a lot of money and god is saying you're going to go back but they needed a lot of money because remember this is very similar to when they leave egypt when they leave Egypt, God told them, go to your neighbors and, as it said, borrow or spoil. You know, get all the gold and silver and all of this. And the Egyptians were more than happy to give them stuff because of how badly they had been, you know, beat up for this year or so that the, that the plagues were hitting. And they kept getting hit by these plagues, and, they're, and these people are ready for them to go. And it's like, oh, good, good riddance, you know. Here, have my gold, have my jewels, have my, have my furs, have, you know. And it was just, they walked out with plenty of, of goods, and they used those goods to build the tabernacle and all the furniture of the tabernacle and all the gold and silver and brass that was needed in the tabernacle. And here they're getting ready to go back. And they're they're people are just happy to start giving them money to them to build this wonderful temple that they remember. And we're going to learn in, in Nehemiah that the older ones that remembered the original temple and its beauty and its size were in tears when they saw the new one because it was just nothing compared to the, as beautiful as it was, it was nothing compared to the original. And there was tears in their eyes when they saw it. Because it was so much smaller and not and and not near the majestic uh, building that it was from the first time, and but it, you know you had Solomon with all of his wealth building that one, and this one is they're they're giving money they're going to get money they're going to get plenty of it but it's still not the same, you know when you have the richest man in all the world that has ever seen giving you the money to build something you've got you're going to have quite an edifice. You know, and, the, and the scriptures tell us that silver was as dust. I mean, silver had no value whatsoever in Israel during, during uh, Solomon's time, and, and gold wasn't far removed. He had so much gold, it was like, okay, who cares? You know, and we think about that and go, wow, you know, these things are precious to us still today, but in Solomon's day, they were, 
you know, who cares? We got we, yeah, silver, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we'll build your sidewalks out of silver, you know, it's just worthless. You, why, you know, and it, you know, it reminds me of the old joke about this rich man who comes to heaven with a suitcase full of gold bars and goes, I want to bring this in, and they look at it and they laugh and go, okay, if you really want to bring in you know, paving stones, be our guest, you know? you know, because figuring it's something of value, but in heaven, you know, the streets are made out of gold, you know, and it's, you know, that just shows you how invaluable it is at that, you know, or uh, how worthless it is at that point in time. And, uh, and that's an old joke, but it really is one of those jokes that kind of reveal that when we get to heaven, everything that we think is of value, we're going to realize is, was wasted time. There's a story in Twilight Zone series that uh, showed that where they hid the gold for many years and then yeah, they come out and it's I remember modern, that. And they said, well, we know how to manufacture gold. We know how to make it. You know, we don't need to... Hey, why is he carrying all these... He's, he's handling the gold like it's worth something, yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't know how to manufacture it. Yeah, and uh, but that's what it, yeah, when we that's get to where heaven. They got the story from. Yeah, huh? That's where they got the story from. from yeah, well, oh, probably from that old joke, and then they just it made it into a full story. Yeah, you go to heaven, it's paved with so, to make it, or I mean, you don't need to bring it. Yeah, but uh, this is what it is. They're they're giving all all, and in verse seven, and Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Meridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. So he's taken everything that had been removed from the temple. And you remember that Nebuchadnezzar put him in the treasury. Belshazzar took him out and used them for his party, to his drunken party, and that was when God judged the kingdom. And so Nebuchadnezzar is now, re, uh, excuse me, S um, Cyrus is now returning them, saying, here's the stuff that goes in the temple that was made already. So you're not going to have to make everything. Here's what we have in our treasury to give back to you. And it says, and thus, and this is the number of them, 30 chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, 29 knives, 30 basins of gold, silver basins with a second sort, 410, and other vessels, a thousand. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazzar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought from the Babylonian from Babylon unto Jerusalem. This is quite a haul that they're carrying. You know, this is something that is going to be interesting and you've got to remember this is going to put them in danger in one sense if they're not protected. This is a huge haul that they're carrying. Just what Nebuch uh, just what Cyrus is giving them is huge. You know, chargers, these great big vessels of, of, of pitcher type things, and then bowls and, and platters, and, and it says the, the silver, 29 silver knives, which I'm sure are the ones they used to, to carve up the animals as they were to, to uh, offer them. All of this stuff is being returned to them, plus everything that's being given to them by the multitude, and it was more people who stayed behind than went back home, so there's a huge amount of money being given to them as well. And so this is all that's going on. Cyrus fulfilling prophecy to send the people back home. 
Cyrus, whose name would have meant nothing to the Jews when Isaiah wrote that. You know, this is a foreign, foreign king in a country in a language that is not known to them to be a big deal. And he's being named, and I love it, as the shepherd of, his, of God's people to send them back and to, build their t to lay the foundation of their temple. And I, and I, like I say, I can't prove it, but I'm sure Cyrus was shown that prophecy and to be blown away. To see that prophecy and say, wow, here's my name. Here's my name in the books of these, of these strange people with a strange God that we don't know. And he's learning, learning about this God. You know, this would have been a fantastic thing for him to see. It would be like one of us reading through the Bible and finding our name in there and saying something that we're supposed to do and we, and we have the power to do it. You know, now, I've never found my name in the Bible. Don't expect to find my name in the Bible. But, yeah, but you know it's not you. <laughs> uh, so this is the amazing thing as we see the book of Ezra starting. The absolute power of the prophecies, the fulfillment, the power of God being revealed that when he says something, it's going to be accomplished and that there's not going to be a surprise later on when you see that happening. And this is one of those places, this part of Ezra, you know, when we look at Isaiah, we look at Jeremiah, we look at Daniel, there's so many people that say, well, because these prophecies existed, it couldn't have been written before their time. And yet Daniel refers to Jeremiah, and, and you know, all these things refer back to what was already written, so it couldn't be after the fact. And God, when he prophesies, is going to be accurate, and he's going to be true, and he's going to be correct. And we're going to stop here because I'm not ready to go into chapter 2 because I didn't think we'd get this far this easy. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to study. And we ask that you bless all those that hear this message and, and, and just help them to understand the, the truthfulness of your word and the power of your word and the prophecies of the word will come true. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.